Gospel of John, chapter 16. This evening we want to teach on the Holy Spirit, some things that the Scripture says, and I would like to read verses 7 through 14, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, beginning with verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin, because they believe not on me, of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So let's have a word of prayer. As we look at this topic, Father, we are so grateful that you gave your only begotten son on that cross to die for us. We know that your precious Holy Spirit is actively gathering out a bride so that there'll be a company of people that'll be at that marriage supper. We pray as we look at some of his activities that you'd speak to all of our hearts. Help us to understand his role in glorifying and magnifying Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Jesus is making several statements here about the Holy Spirit, and you'll find he does the same in chapter 14 as well as chapter 15. He says that, he has to go away and the Comforter will come and abide with him forever. We know from the Bible that the entrance of the Holy Spirit does not begin on the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit was active throughout the Old Testament. In fact, we can begin with Genesis 1 where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2 the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So you can see that even in the beginning, God the Holy Spirit was active. And of course, it makes it very plain, he was active even in a world where there was darkness and essentially emptiness. Now that, that's somewhat important when you think about the fact that we, we like to believe that in order for God the Holy Ghost to move, there's got to be all kinds of preconditions. You know, if we talk about rain coming down, of course, you look for clouds and things like that. But the Spirit of God can move any way that he wants to move. You know, there's no doubt about it. Uh, he certainly is active when people are praying, but he can do things that people don't take time to pray. Because there wasn't anybody to pray in Genesis 1 verse 2. But yet even in the darkness... He was yet moving and hovering over the, the face of the waters. And for that, we should be grateful because that's really how he began to work in your life and in my life. 
Before we became Christians, we lived in darkness. The Bible says we've been brought into the kingdom of his dear son, into the light. Before we became Christians, we lived in sin. Our lives were empty, certainly vain, which would be very similar to describing something that's, that's void if you're talking about a person. But despite that, God began to work in the midst of the darkness that you lived in, in the midst of the darkness that I lived in, and that's how he brought us into the kingdom of God. So before there ever was a sun, a moon, or stars, God the Holy Ghost was at work and moving. Before there ever was vegetation and seed-bearing plants, God the Holy Spirit was at work. Before there ever was Adam and Eve or a garden, God the Holy Spirit was at work. So as sure as we're in here tonight listening to this and studying the scripture, I can promise you that in the darkness of some tavern, there'll be some man or woman sitting on a bar stool drinking their life away, but has a grandmother or a father or somebody that loves the Lord. And yet as they're sitting there with all of their friends, God, the Holy Ghost is yet convicting and working, even when other people can't see it. And if you think back to your life, if If before you became a Christian, you ever came under conviction, then you know you can be under conviction and never betray it with your face, facial expression. You can sit in a room with a whole lot of people and be talking about things and saying things, sometimes even doing things. But yet your heart is bothering you the entire time because, you know, I wasn't raised like this. And, you know, this is not what God wants of me. So in the midst of darkness, then. The Holy Spirit was actively at work, and he does that, as I said, for us, when we were bent out of shape before we became Christians, he was at work. So the beginnings of his operations, and the office work of the Holy Spirit, becomes visible in Genesis chapter 1. But when you go into Exodus, you still have the Spirit of God at work because the Bible talks of how God took of the Spirit that was on Moses, put it in on upon the elders, and they prophesied. Can't do that without the Spirit of God. Then we know from Moses' relationship with Joshua, he laid hands on him, and the Scripture says a spirit of wisdom came on Joshua. He became Moses' successor. The book of Judges, which is almost like an old time book of Acts, tells us about Deborah, Samson, Gideon, all of these different people. Shamgar, the spirit of God would come upon them and move them mightily to do great exploits that you can't do without the power of God. And we know that David wrote the Psalms because of the Holy Spirit. And certainly the prophets couldn't do what they did without the anointing of God and the Holy Spirit in their life. So from Genesis right on up through the book of Malachi, you have the work of the Holy Spirit. And before Jesus got here, there was Anna the prophetess, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Simeon had been told by the Holy Ghost that he needed to get to the temple. So Jesus comes along. He is conceived in Mary's womb because the Holy Ghost came upon her and overshadowed her. So you can see that even in the ministry of Jesus. All I'm trying to help you to see is that even though we walk through this in in John chapter 16, the spirit of God did not come on the day of Pentecost. He had been here the ages past working through men and women. 
But Jesus says in verse number seven here, I have to go away. If I don't go, he won't come unto you. He's already told him in chapter 14, when he comes, he'll abide with you forever. So that tells us that one of the important roles of the Holy Spirit is to come stay with you. He's going to be with you. He's going to be in you. He will assist you. He will aid you. You can't be born again without being born again of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration takes place because of the Holy Spirit. So then in verse seven, when he talks about the comforter, let's remember that this English rendering of the Greek word signifies the Greek that talks about strength. And so in our English language, the prefix, the early part of the first part of that word comforter, C-O-M, see that that's the part that means with and the, the root stem of this word, F-O-R-T, we use words like fortify, see, fortification. We, we talk about a fort, you know, the old hymn, hold the fort. You know, a lot of people mock that, but, you know, the, a fort was a stronghold. So the role of the Holy Spirit, the comforter is going to come because he will fortify you and strengthen you so that this body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost, becomes a stronghold for God. This was never to be a dwelling place for the devil. The Bible teaches. The scripture says you've got to have a stronger one come to run off a strong man. And that's what God does. He's he's the he's the stronger one. But Jesus says in verse 7, the last sentence, but if I depart, I'll send him. So he's saying, I've got to go away. The reason he had to go away is because even though he was God in the flesh, he only ministered in the the, uh, realm or regions that were assigned to the 12 tribes of Israel. We don't have a record of Jesus going to India, contrary to what some Religious people in Hinduism say we have no record of Jesus coming here to the Americas, contrary to what the Mormons say. We know that Jesus said, I am called, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So his ministry was within that Palestinian region, and he preached the gospel in the promised lands and didn't go any further. Where his ministry was at. And his departure was necessary because being located in this human body, he couldn't be in all places at one time, even though he was still God in the flesh. But he's going to ascend to heaven and the spirit of God is then going to come and inhabit people. And so we then become the physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ, where before he only had 10 fingers, two, two arms and two legs. Now he's got millions of people that are incorporated into his body and the message can go throughout the world because the comforter has come. That's why this is so important. So he leaves and ascends to heaven so that the comforter could come and abide with his disciples as he was with them in their midst. Now notice verse eight. So when he, the Holy Spirit, is come, Notice what he'll do. Reprove the world of sin. 
So right there, Jesus is taking the time to offer an acknowledgement that there is such a thing called sin. What is sin? Sin is the breakage or the transgression of a commandment of God. God says, okay, here's the rule, here's the standard. You may come this far, but you can come no further. You say, well, what if the Roman government say you can go further? Here's the standard, here's the rule. The, the command of God says you can come this far and go no further. And once a person trespasses or enters upon territory they're not supposed to be upon, that trespass is then called sin. So if you go to somebody's house and then they have a little sign that says no trespassing, they're saying you're not supposed to be there unless you've been invited. That's what that means. If you haven't been invited, they don't want you up there passing out stuff and, and harassing folks. So God has given through his word a variety of different places where he said, you shall not do this. You ought not do that. And when someone transgresses, that is the sin. That's why Adam and Eve got in trouble. There was nothing written down in writing that said this tree you have to stay away from. But they had the oral word of God and the oral word of God was just as important as the written word later would become. So if Jesus acknowledges there's something called sin and the world that denies God and denies that God created this world and that they're living in God's world. If they deny all of that, they need to be reminded sometimes that you're living in sin if you deny God and don't live according to his commandments. So here's why the Holy Spirit comes. To admonish, to reprove, to rebuke, to shine the light on, to open people's eyes to this thing called sin. Only God the Holy Ghost can do that. You can talk all day long and try to explain to people what's right and what's wrong, and they'll rationalize it this way and that way and say there's nothing wrong with this, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you right now, God's word doesn't change, and the reason that the outstanding characteristic of the Spirit of God is holiness, it is because he is called the Holy Spirit. See, That's the one outstanding characteristic of the Holy Spirit. And since he's called the Holy Spirit, his role is to make us holy. And then having made us holy, keep us holy. See, that's important. So notice again, reprove the world of sin. Do you think the world needs to know about sin? I do. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's very important for people's eyes to be open. Now, In the Old Testament, it talks about People doing what is right in their own eyes. That's what people do when they live in a world of sin. They create their own standards. And then the standards fluctuate and change from generation to generation. And this is why Israel ended up in trouble with God so many times. They'd have one generation that would walk with God. They would live holy before God. They would pursue God passionately. And then the next generation would come along and say, you folks were a bit too restrictive and we think we need to loosen up some of this and let's just live any way that we want. And by the time you get to the third generation, now we're trying to go to church and worship God, Jehovah, and at the same time worship Baal. And so we're incorporating all kinds of different religious beliefs, religious beliefs that don't even go together. They're out of sync. They can't even walk together. It's impossible to embrace 
east and west at the exact same time, but multitudes of people tried doing that, and God says that is a sin. So the very first commandment tells us you can't have any other gods. Then the next one tells us we can't bow down before him. But the person who has a divided heart and says, I don't see anything wrong with that religion. I mean, after all, Buddha does have a big belly, but they've got some pretty good principles in that religion, some of which I think are better than Christianity. So I'm going to embrace what I like in Buddhism, and I'm going to combine that with what I like in Christianity. Folks, I'm telling you, that is sin. That's sin. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And if it wasn't, then Jesus would have told his disciples that uh, it doesn't really matter what the heathen or the Gentiles do, but he told them quite plainly, don't be like them. That's what he said. So reprove the world of sin. So our world today certainly has sin within it, and we have to keep our eyes open, you know, because some people don't see the difference anymore. It's, it's, it's watered down, and, and it's hard for people to come to some rational conclusion about what is the transgression of God's commandment. If, if you turn on the television and listen to certain people, you will swear up and down that uh, the God that sits on heaven, uh, sits on the throne in heaven, surely he's got to be a Democrat like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton say he is. And then if you turn to another channel, then you'll find it'll be Pat Robertson making it very, very plain. If God was anything, he'd be a member of the Republican Party. See, and, and the thing you've got to remember is that one time Joshua had an appearance of an angel and Joshua was ready to fight. He pulled out his sword when he saw that big character standing there. He said, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And that angel stood in front of him and said, neither. He said, I come as an angel of God. That is to say, I'm not on the side of any political party. I'm not on the side of any king or queen. I'm God all by myself. You either get on my side or I defeat you and your little sword in your hand. See, so that's the key. So in our world today, when we talk about sin, we've got to remember everybody has different ideas about what sin is, what constitutes sin. But it doesn't change the book. The book doesn't change. There was uh, somebody had, had uh, contacted me over this past weekend and, and was telling me, Daryl, pray for us out here because our congressman or, or senator or somebody just passed some bill called SB 145. So I didn't know what in the world that was. So I got online, read the whole bill, line by line, word by word, wanted to make sure I understood what it was about. But what it is, it's a bill that says... People who are of a uh, lesbian, bisexual, gay, uh, what's the other stuff? Queer, uh, transgender uh, background or personage or whatever kind of characteristics they have connected with that. If they, if one of them gets involved with a same-sex relationship, person of the same gender, as long as the gap between their ages is only 10 years, then it means that person does not have to automatically be placed on a sex offenders list. See, 
Now, regardless of what the age of the young person is, if the person who was a minor willingly consented to the activity, then the adult doesn't necessarily have to get in trouble. So, of course, uh, your grandparents and <laughs> your generation, our generation, we never thought we'd ever see anything like that. But what it means is if a 21 year old sodomizes an 11 year old and the 11 year old said, yes, he wanted to be a partaker in that. Then the 21 year old doesn't necessarily have to go on the list. The judge doesn't have to put them on there. Now, folks, I'm telling you, this is a this is a wickedness beyond anything that I would have ever believed our nation could experience. However, the Holy Ghost has come to reprove the world of sin. You see why strong evangelical churches and and full gospel churches, why they want these places closed? Because these are the places through which Jesus usually is able to speak and minister the word of God. When I watch the television and I listen to the ones who are in church that are saying, we don't want the churches open. Most of those churches deny the virgin birth of Jesus, that he lived without sin, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was literally buried, genuinely raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. So the unbelievers are saying the church doesn't need to gather, but all the people that love God and are truly born again and passionate about God, they're saying, let us get together now. See, so the church then is is being muzzled by many people. And this is a historic fact. It goes back to ancient Rome. They didn't want the the church of Jesus Christ preaching the gospel and upsetting all the people who believed in Greco-Roman deities. And and by the time the the, the Muslims came around in the seventh century, they didn't want the gospel being preached by Christians because they didn't want folks being upset about the fact they're saying Jesus is the way and Muhammad wasn't the truth. So this thing has gone on historically for ages, and I can promise you this, the Holy Ghost is not going to be muzzled. He's going to work in the midst of darkness, even if none of us in here ever open our mouth to stand for God. He's going to do something. He'll talk to people in dreams and in visions. So notice it says in verse 9, It says of sin because they don't believe on me. So the Holy Spirit is coming to reprove the unbeliever because they have rejected Jesus Christ's sonship. They rejected his person. They rejected his finished work on the cross. They have rejected what he came to do. That's why the Holy Spirit's come. And when when you see people get, you know, super irate. Oh, the fact that you really are a believer. Then they just start throwing all kind of names out there at you like, uh, oh, well, uh, you know, you're just narrow minded. You're you're fanatic. You're some kind of phobia person or something like that. All of that comes out of a world of sin that denies who Jesus Christ is. Once you deal with the sin issue and you remove the topic of sin, then you can get rid of any kind of language that says anything about anybody that makes it seem like it's negative. Now, someone was just telling me the other day, I didn't know this, but they were telling me that, uh, that now in uh, the, 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 the court system and everything like that, you no longer 
can refer to someone who has broken the law, been indicted, been prosecuted, been found guilty. You can no longer refer to them as an offender. You can't, you have to just call them an individual. And you can no longer refer to people as criminals. You have to refer to them as justice-involved individuals. How do you like that long title? Yeah. See, so, so from, from the natural perspective, you see what's happening. Anything that would stigmatize bad behavior, anything that would, would, would give somebody a guilt complex about being a thief, or murdering somebody. They're removing those kind of tags because in the world of sin, nobody wants to feel bad about doing anything. We want to do everything that's right in our own eyes. But that's why God sent the Holy Ghost to reprove the world of sin. And as long as the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ exists, there will be someone who will proclaim the word of God. That's what the spirit of God will do. So then verse verse 10 speaks of righteousness because I go to my father. Righteousness. Now, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. John said, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus said, suffer it to happen. Let, let this happen so that the righteousness of God will be fulfilled. Righteousness has to do with the fact Jesus had no sin, knew no sin, but yet became sin for us on the cross and died for us. But when he was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, that validated everything that he was doing in his life and on Calvary. And so everything about the king of kings is righteous. The role of the Holy Spirit is to make sure that the world understands that when you see Jesus, you're looking at a righteous figure. And everything else that you compare to him is unrighteous. There's nothing you can compare to him that will ever be as great or as grand as him. And our role as a church is to make sure that we magnify the king and people know who he is. Yeah. He, he's the beautiful one. And we tell the story of how he healed the sick, of how he opened the eyes of the blind, how he healed the lepers, how he sent the disciples down to the waters and they caught a fish and found a coin inside of his mouth. All of that demonstrates the righteousness of God because he had a plan for sin before sin ever entered the world. Yes, no doubt about it. God the Son, who eternally, made the decision he's going to come die on that cross for you and for me. So Jesus says in verse 10 of righteousness, because I go to my father and you'll see me no more. So my ascension to heaven will remove me from your vision. But even though I'm going to be gone physically and you will not see me anymore, the comforter is going to come and you will still have my abiding presence with you. That's what he's saying going to have that. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 11 is, is important because we all need to know that the prince of this world is judged. The, the devil is known in scripture as the God of this world. And he's known here, as you can see, the prince of this world. So he governs and he controls the world of sin. He governs and he controls people who don't believe in God. So whether you ever acknowledged it before you became a Christian, you were a child of the unholy one. And your behavior 
It typified whatever the adversary wanted. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, when he says we were all children of wrath, children of disobedience. We did everything the devil wanted us to do. It's like he had us on puppet strings and he could manipulate us any way that he wants. So he said, "Okay, on Monday, we're going to make you a very bitter man. You're just bitter, angry and upset. Then over here, we're going to make you a very unforgiving person. He's just continually controlling people. But Jesus said the prince of the world is judged. Judged when? Well, he said judged in the past tense. Before there ever was a cross or need for a cross, God had already condemned the devil to what he was going to have to deal with. Jesus said hell wasn't made for you and for me. It was made for the devil and his angels. That's who it was made for. So from from the time that, that Satan deceived Adam and Eve, there still was a verdict against him. And that's why when you read in the book of Revelation and it talks about the adversary being cast down to earth and he knows he has but a short time. That's why he's going after godly seed. He's going after the church because he knows the verdict is already against him. So he's doing everything he can to make your life and my life miserable because the judgment is against him. There's no doubt about it. He, He understands it clearly. So the prince of this world is judged. Well, then how then does the Holy Spirit stay actively involved with what it says in verse 11? Well, he reproves the world of judgment by letting them know that the devil is already judged. See, at least Jesus acknowledges he believes there's a devil. Yeah, there are a lot of people deny the existence of Satan. It's, oh, no, you're too superstitious if you believe in angels and demons and God and the devil. Not superstitious at all, just biblical. See? The, the scripture is, is quite plain here. If, if Jesus makes acknowledgement of the prince of this world and says he's already been condemned, then I should believe that despite what I'm seeing in this world, everybody's going to give an account for what's done in their body. Yeah, for me, we must all die. Judgment comes to us one time. And the scripture tells us in the book of Revelation that one day some some books are going to be open and folks are going to be looking for names and they're going to be looking around there to see who's in there, who's not in there. And it says whoever's name is not in the Lamb's book of life or in that book of life shall be cast into hell, which ultimately will be cast into the lake of fire. So, of course, you know, when those books are open and... The Lord sends me over there to look for some of your names. I'm just going to be wondering. I, I thought I thought at one time there was a Neff in here, Lord. Just see. see OK, so so the scripture is clear. There's a new name written down in glory and it should be yours and it should be mine. But Jesus also made it plain through the Apostle Paul, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive for the deeds done in our body, whether good or bad. Okay. Now, I'm not concerned at all about any kind of security for my eternity. My salvation is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I stand before the throne of God, I have the safety and assurance of knowing that I'm clothed in his righteousness and not my own. So I sleep very well at night when other people, they agonize over whether or not they're 
in the kingdom of God or right with God or truly have experienced salvation. I sleep like a baby, at least one that sleeps through the night. Yeah. So th this is important stuff. The Holy Spirit wants you to know that since the devil has been judged, there's going to be an end to his activity. Now think about it. 60, 70 years ago when the Holocaust was taking place. Can you imagine living in Poland or somewhere over there and, and you're Jewish and then you've got to, you know, say goodbye to your babies, your grandkids. Never, you don't know if you're ever going to see them again. You're giving them hugs and kisses and then you get dressed up in your best stuff. Got you a few little briefcases, some of your little personal items. Then you and several hundred other people get packed onto some little train car, rail car. And then you get in there and then they close the door. There's no windows in there, hardly no ventilation. And you're just packed in there with a bunch of other people. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows where anybody's going. But they just packed them in, those little Jewish ghettos. And the train just started rolling. People fall asleep. Some people pass away, died on the on en route there. Then when they get there, they open up the little cars. Then you step out. You see all of these soldiers. They're yelling and screaming and saying, get off the train. They're separating men and women and the children. And then they get folks over here and have them stripped down. Totally degrade them and shame them in front of one another. And then after that, then move them off to wherever they're going to take them. And then these people are going to end up in a gas chamber, lose their lives. And then they're going to take them to some burning furnaces and just totally get rid of whatever remains there are. And here you're a Nazi soldier and you've got to be involved with that. You've got to be the one pushing buttons. You've got to be shoveling bones and you've got to go and put them on whatever kind of cart has to carry them out. The stench of all of that going all around this world. Folks, I'm telling you right now, there's a record of all of that that happened, but there's probably stuff that has happened that was worse than that in the history of this world, and we don't have a record of it. I'm telling you, every day for Adolf Hitler to stand up, put on a pair of pants and a suit, and stand in front of a microphone, for Adolf Hitler to stand on this planet was for the devil to walk around in a suit. And it's the same with Idi Amin and any other person who was extremely wicked and terrible in the way they handle people. But you know what? As, as, as bad and as terrible as that is, I can assure you, none of that escaped his attention. See? None of that. Someone has to give an account for those kinds of things. And in this world that we live in now, where people are putting on bomb vests and blowing up people and now we got folks out here robbing and looting and burning down neighborhoods and stores. People are going to give an account. It doesn't look like it. I know it doesn't look like it. And you say, how long is God going to put up with this? I'm, all I'm saying is the prince of this world is judged. And if God has already judged the devil and put a verdict against him, all the people that follow in his lies and deception are going to end up following down the same path with him. There's no doubt about it. Jesus even told the uh, Pharisees in them one time, you're of your father, the devil. They didn't do anything near what the Nazis did or anybody else. But he said, you're of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit is in this world 
trying to bring people to faith in God, trying to magnify the righteousness of Christ, trying to help us to see that ultimately in the end, Satan is going to be judged. and People that follow him are going to have to deal with the same thing. So look at verse Verse 12, he says, I have a lot of other things to say to you, but you can't bear them. But he said, when the spirit of truth is come, notice that spirit of truth. So if there, there is such a thing as truth, then the opposite of truth would be, this somebody said, what would be the opposite of truth? Am I thinking of anything? What would be the opposite of truth? A lie, error, something false. So if there's a spirit of truth, do you think there's a spirit of error? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Old Testament speaks of a nation having mingled within it a perverse spirit. That means the inability to think straight, the inability to think correctly. So if there's a spirit of truth, there's a spirit of error. So God wants the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Ghost, to be in this world to make sure that there's always a company of people that knows the difference between right and wrong. He has to be here. And the church, that's what we're supposed to be. The scripture calls us the pillar and ground of truth. The church is the one place you should be able to go and hear what God says, and not specifically what the cultural critics are saying, and what the politicians are saying. But our hearts and minds should be swayed by the book, by the book. And when you come into contact with family members or or other people who don't believe what the book says, you just keep your mind and your thoughts tethered to the book and just stay anchored to the book, regardless of what anybody else says. You say, well, pastor, if I if I'm like that, then my family's going to be upset with me. Stay with the book. Stay with the book. Because if you move away from the book, then you're going to be on shaky foundations. And I can promise you, once you start wavering, you won't stop. You'll be like a boat out there doing this on one day. The next moment, you'll be doing this back and forth. But if you just stay with the book and don't let anybody move you, then it doesn't matter what they say. Here's what the Bible says. I got the Bible on my side. When I stand before God, he's going to talk to me about this. He's not even going to ask me about our Constitution. This here is what is what matters to God. So the Spirit of God, he's going to guide you into all truth. So if there is a spirit of truth, he has to guide us into what he knows. Now remember, God the Holy Ghost is omniscient. He knows everything. And if, and if he's going to take us there, he's got to be a leader, and we have to follow. Imagine if you were placed at the entrance to a maze. Let's say the maze had walls that were seven feet tall, so you couldn't see over on the other side. And you had to somehow make it from the entrance all the way to the other side, to the exit, and you had to go down all these different passages without knowing which one was a dead end. Then you have to turn around and come back and then try to try to find another route in order to get you where you're going. And then imagine trying to do that if you were blind. Yeah, that'd be pretty hard, wouldn't it? Yeah, very hard. But imagine what it's like for a sinner trying to find their way through this world. Or for a Christian who's sleepy, as Paul describes them in the book of, book of Ephesians. Sleepy Christians and sleepy sinners trying to make their way into truth. They can't find it. So what do they do? Create their own truth. Create their own. Yeah. 
That's the only thing left to do. You get frustrated because you can't get to where you know you need to be. So you just decide I'll stay right here and I'll just say this is the exit, even though I hadn't got there yet. Just create your own narrative and your own truth. So the spirit of God comes to guide us into all truth. What is the truth of Jesus Christ? He was born of a virgin. Now you pick up some commentaries and they'll say something like this. Well, the early church, they really weren't sure about the early origins of Jesus. And so really, he's the product of Joseph and Mary. But they wanted to make sure that the the account of his birth was supernatural. So they just said that. Stay with the book. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. The Bible says Jesus lived without sin. He never had to apologize to anybody. But as my wife and I had one teenage girl tell us one time when we asked, do you believe Jesus lived Without sin. And she said, well, nobody in this world has ever lived without sin, including Jesus. She was a Sunday school teacher at some church. I thought, oh, my goodness. Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. The truth of what concerning Jesus? That he died on the cross and his death atoned for our sins. All of us deserving of death, worthy of death, should have had death come to us a long time ago. But in the grace and the mercy and in the peace of God, he died on the cross for us so that subsequent generations could place their faith in him who died in a previous generation. And we can all meet up in heaven because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody else comes along and says that. Oh, that's an old that's old bloody religion. You've got talking about somebody dying for somebody's sins and you've got people feeling guilty and making folks feel bad because of how they live. Nobody comes into this world as a sinner. We're all born good people. That's not what the book says. Born in sin, shaped in iniquity. See, the Holy Ghost will guide you into all truth. He was raised from the dead, regardless of what the National Geographic says. Regardless of what the History Channel says, regardless of what some pastor or reporter says, Holy Spirit is going to guide you into all truth because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost are one. And they're all telling the same story from Genesis 1 straight out the back of Revelation 22. They're all saying the same thing. For he shall not speak of himself. So he is not arrogant. Spirit of God is here to promote Jesus. He's here to exalt Jesus, to lead people to an adoration of Jesus so that people will glorify Jesus. And whatever he hears, you notice he's he will echo it through our voice. He'll make sure we know the mind of God. And by knowing the mind of God, we'll open up our mouths and speak. So when you stand before people and have to give an account for your testimony and your witness about Jesus Christ, The scripture says you don't have to prepare a written statement. Just be there and stand up and the spirit of God will put in your mouth what you need to say. He'll help you. Yeah. Talking about the Holy Spirit. He will show you things to come, which means he knows the future. He'll open your eyes to things that other people may not have ever seen. Now, Now, think about this. 40, 50 years ago, David Wilkerson wrote a book called The Vision. He said when he wrote that book, he said a thousand churches closed their doors to him. He was talking about rock and roll coming into the churches and carnality coming into the churches. He saw pornography and stuff coming through cable systems and all of that before we ever really had it developed. But he also said he had a vision of the Middle East on fire with a hundred oil fields burning. 
People said, you're just an old gloom and doom, pessimistic man, and you never have anything good to say about these nations. But when Gulf War I broke out and Saddam invaded Kuwait, when we finally ran him out of Kuwait, what did he do? Set the oil fields on fire. He counted them. There was more than 100 that were on fire. Can you imagine all of that crude oil in the earth set on fire? And then somebody's got to go and try to get close enough to those big, huge uh, uh, flames and have to try to cap all of that off. But a man of God saw it decades before it happened. He's the one that that said in that book he, he saw where the American economy would just go down overnight. People say it's impossible. They got too many, too, many, uh, too many measures in place that would keep our economy from just falling overnight. But who would have ever thought that something like COVID would come and shut the whole world down and you'd watch economies just change within 72 hours? Yeah. Scripture here says the Spirit of God will show you things to come. I do believe there are people who walk close enough to God that the, that the Lord does show and reveal mysteries and secrets to. I do believe that. And as we can see here, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. He shall glorify me. He'll receive of mine and show it unto you. Well, the last thing I'll say is, is this. There was a... Um, over on Lewis Island, over, in, over there in Hebrides, there were some Presbyterian people who were a little bit unhappy with what was taking place in their churches. They were saying that the beer gardens were packed with people every night. Their churches were empty. And they said they couldn't even get any teenagers to come to church. So all these elders in the Presbyterian church were getting together, trying this, trying that. Nothing was working. But there was an 84-year-old woman and her sister that used to pray. And this one 84, the 84-year-old woman, she, she was blind and she had a vision. And in her vision, she saw just young people coming from everywhere into churches and repenting of their sins and crying out to God. So she called her pastor, told her pastor about what she saw. He was godly enough and smart enough to... Say, well, what do you think we ought to do about this? And she said, well, get, get, get the session together, which will be all their elders. Get, you, get, the, get the elders together, and why not just pray two or three nights a week? So they did. They got together and started praying 10 o'clock at night or so, 8 o'clock at night or so, and uh, prayed to 4 o'clock in the morning, just crying out to God. Meanwhile, the 84-year-old lady was praying with her 82-year-old sister. They're crying out to God, asking God to do something. Well, they, they prayed like this for over five months. And then one morning, about three or four o'clock in the morning, God came. God came. And God spoke to them and let them know that if your hearts are right and your hands are clean and pure in my presence, I'll do something wonderful for you. They read, read one of the Psalms. That's what led them to that conclusion. Well, they left that church that morning, just a handful of them had been praying. They said as they were walking down the road, they noticed there were, there were lamps and lights on and houses all up and down the road. And then farmhouses out in the distant fields. Come to find out folks were awakened and got up and just started praying. Next night they came back, had over 21 buses 
that it just brought people from everywhere for some reason or another to come to that church. And here they all came out there, hundreds of people crying out to God. The two elderly ladies had wrote a letter to a minister named Duncan Campbell asking him if he could come preach. Duncan Campbell, he had another obligation. He told him I couldn't make it, but that obligation canceled on him. So then he told the people, keep praying, I'm coming. Duncan Campbell came. This was back in the 40s. So, And when he got there and saw what was taking place, oh, my goodness. He said he had not seen a revival like that since back in 1921 when he had preached in another place. But they said that the church churches were packed out all across that island. And this man was visiting churches at one o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, different churches to preach to three, four, five hundred people. Said he walked outside the church. There'd be more people outside than were in the building. There'd be 300 in the building, 600 laying out in the lawn, crying, saying, oh, God, have mercy on us. Is there any mercy for me, God? Said one night he left the service and the policeman came and said, you've got to come down to the police station. I've got 200 people out here on the pavement crying out to God, asking God to forgive them of their sins. This went on for years on that little island. People crying out to God. Folks, just to, to have an experience like that is amazing, you know. Never had anything quite like that, never seen anything quite like that. But I do know before we came up here, down in Baton Rouge, God got to moving down there in that church. And for some reason or another, the presence of God was keeping Brother Swaggart from preaching. He just... I mean, we'd end up singing for two hours, two and a half hours, three hours sometimes. Sometimes we'd just sit there in the presence of the Lord. Had one man come preach, I think he just got out of prison. A guy named Tim Dyson, I believe was his name. He came and preached, really set the, the place on fire. Now, the church is built in an octagon, like, like shape. So when you step out of any door, you can just walk in a complete circle and you still be right there in the, uh, the, the church area. But I can remember coming out of there coming out of those doors, and there would be people laying face down on the carpet, crying out to God, repenting of their sins. I'd step over their bodies just to try to get out of the building. I can remember in the weeks to come, we'd have people, they would just be there in that altar, stretched out, crying out to God. they say, you got to come out here in the parking lot because the people aren't even leaving. And you go out to the parking lot and you look and you see people sitting there with their backs up against their car door and their butts on the ground as they're weeping and crying, asking God to forgive them of their sins. And just see bodies look like they've been shot, stretched out all over the pavement and on the grass as they were crying out to God. And I mean, it was just an amazing thing to see. But somewhere along the line, if the Holy Spirit doesn't get involved, then won't anything happen anyhow. But it seems like there's so much that is contingent upon prayer. You know, talking to God, asking God to do this, asking God to do that. And the more we pray with expectation, then we can believe that God will do great things. Amen. There's no doubt about it, folks. To have the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our midst, that is absolutely essential. He's the key to filling up any church. He's the key to reaching the elderly. He's the key to reaching the middle age. He's the key to reaching the young people.
Let's pray. Father God, how wonderful it is to know you and to be able to look into this book and see what it says about the precious Holy Ghost. God, if there's anything we need here in South Central Nebraska, we do need an outpouring of your spirit. Father, we do need to see lives change. That's our prayer, Lord. That's our desire. That's our hunger to see all throughout this region lives changed by the mighty power of God. Let that passion be instilled in us as we walk with you every day in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.